We exist to demonstrate our passion for God and His passion for people. Throughout our journey, God has stirred in our hearts to be a church that changes the world. We want to make the gospel known both locally and globally. We want to have real felt impact in communities and cities around the world. Freedom for the oppressed and enslaved, care for the orphan and poor, disciples made, and new churches planted. In 2011, Mosaic supported four global partners in three countries. In 2014, we are supporting eight global partners in eight different countries. Over the last three years, Mosaic has spent over $300,000 supporting our global partners. In February of 2013, we sent a team over to Brazil with sound equipment to help Jay Bauman launch a new church plant in the city of Rio de Janeiro. Since the church launched one year ago, they have seen five people come to Christ and celebrated four baptisms. Jay also leads a monthly training event that has an average attendance of 70 pastors and church planters who are engaged in ministry throughout Brazil. In March of 2014, we sent another team over to Brazil to continue to build relationships with our friends. They were able to share the gospel message with many children in the impoverished neighborhoods of Rio. In March of 2013, we sent a team of students and their families over to the Dominican Republic. The team helped four families in a slum neighborhood go from dirt floors to concrete floors. The team also spent time serving at a boys' home and investing in the lives of the orphans who lived there. In the summer of 2013, Brandon and Natasha Butler moved to Cambodia to work with Agape International Missions. Their goal is to end human trafficking in Cambodia. The Butlers have been the driving force behind the opening of an employment center in Siem Reap to provide jobs for young women rescued out of sex trafficking. Brandon and Natasha spend time each week investing in the lives of these young women, leading them in discipleship, devotions, and job training. Over the last several years, we've been investing in the Tigray region of Ethiopia. In October of 2013, we sent a team to visit the orphan care program that we are supporting in the city of Adwa. For the next three years, we are committed to support the orphan care program with $30,000 a year. We are sponsoring 50 children and hope to increase that number each year. We continue to look for ways to invest in the relationships that we have in Aksum and Adwa. These are just some of the stories of what God is doing around the world through our global partners. Through these partnerships, we are helping to make the gospel known around the world. Several of our global partners are planting churches. Others are engaged in mercy and justice ministries. All are making the gospel known and making disciples. By giving generously of our time, treasure, and talent, we get to share in their stories, care for the orphan, see people lifted from poverty and freed from slavery, bring the gospel to the unreached, make disciples, and to start new churches. This is our global mission. It's an exciting thing to see what God is doing around the world. But I want to read you guys something so that you understand the context of that video. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1, the author of Hebrews writes these words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Uh, That little verse speaks of a race that is set before us to run so that we can live out the God-given purpose that God has created us for. And I want you to know that the video that we just watched is not a video about celebrating a place we have arrived at or a place that is at the finish line of a long race we're in. This video actually celebrates the starting line, not the ending line. Now, our church is a middle schooler. We are 11 years old as a church. We are just beginning the story. And this video is simply stating Hey everyone, we are now in the race, all right? We are actually involved in the globe, around the world, in multiple partnerships where we are actually having impact globally for the gospel. So this is kind of the point in a marathon where the the guy's just taken off of the start and we're like, yeah, woo! 
good race, good race. But the, the reality is that this is the starting point. This is where we look forward now as a church and say, this is what we've just done to say we're in it. But the race that is ahead of us, the race that will require endurance and perseverance and longevity and, and time and energy and sometimes will feel like a race we want to give up on and, and get out of, but we're going to push on, that lies ahead. Uh, because we, as you know, if you've been around Mosaic Church for any given time, take changing the world very seriously. We believe that God has called us to change the world for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the gospel. And so we know that God has not called us to gather up as a church so that we can create a nice little safe place for our children to grow up and where we can come together and say, I had good friends, I was fed well, I had a good time, we had a great church. Now, those are important things, but those are not central to the call of God. Those are the means by which we stir one another up and we spur one another on toward love and good deeds so that we scatter from this place into the environments in which God has called us and we go become change agents for the reality of the kingdom of God and the redemptive uh, freedom that God produces and is producing in our world. So we take it seriously to go out. We are compelled as a church to continue to scatter into uh, our personal environments, our local environment, our global environment to bring about the redemptive change that God has created us to live out. And why are we so compelled? Why are we compelled to, to press harder and, and deeper into stories around us and find more stories to enter into to be redemptive in? Well, in part, obviously, as you look at the world around us, it is a world that needs redeeming. It is a world with brokenness and struggle and difficulty. It is a world that when you travel anywhere into uh, the third world er uh, arenas of our planet or just in our own uh, world here in America, when you step into some of the poverty-infested areas, you know there is a lot of redeeming that is needed. And any human being, whether you know Jesus or not, would be driven by compassion on some level to say, we ought to do something about that. And though that is part of what compels us, just a natural sense of compassion, that is not what primarily compels us to enter into a world and to live redemptively. What, what compels us as a, a church, as a body of Christ followers, is what we have discovered here in the Word of God, what we have discovered about our human story and about God's story and about how those stories collide and about what God has done and is doing in us and through us. When we discover that, we are compelled not to simply gather but also to scatter and become redemptive. Here's what we've learned, right? As we've traveled through Scripture, here's what we've discovered. We discovered that in Genesis, in the very beginning of Scripture, God creates humanity, the human story, in the person of Adam and Eve uh, to, uh, for a, a purpose that is beyond imagination. He creates us to be able to experience in perfect intimacy the full implications of relationship with the creator and sustainer, with our God. He creates us to know God, to experience him fully, to be full of him, to have intimacy with him, to know his freedom, to know his love, to know his protection, to know his power, to know him. He created us for that and in that fullness of being full of God to live a life without need and without being driven by a need for something because we have all that we need in God. That's what we were created for. But we discover in the early part of the Genesis story that we are not only created to simply know God and be full of God, but in that fullness and in that freedom, we become image bearers of that creator. That our freedom and our fullness spills out of us and shouts at our fellow man and at all of creation, this is God. This is God's freedom. This is God's life. This is God's life. We are created to know God and to glorify God through the way that we live and the things that we do. That's what our original created intent was. And then creation was created with light and life and freedom displaying the invisible qualities of God we find out in Romans. And it was to shout back at us, God is good. God is great. God is awesome. And so God creates this symphony of sorts where humanity is shouting at creation and at one another, God is incredible. And creation is shouting back at humanity, God is incredible. And we live in the glory of God, in the fullness of God. And that is life. That is freedom. That is everything. 
And that's what we were created for. And that sounds pretty awesome. But we were convinced early on in our story by God's enemy that a better way to live would be to display our own glory instead of God's glory, to become our own gods instead of Him being our God, to, to shape our own destinies rather than submitting to the story God is writing for us. The enemy put it this way, if you eat of this, you will know what He knows, you will be like Him, and then you can do what He does. And so we were convinced that being our own gods was a better plan. God had told us if you go there, it will not bring divinity, it will bring death, but we decided that we would trust what was here better. And so we ate of the fruit and death entered our story. We were separated from that intimacy with God, broken from that relationship, and what we experienced in that brokenness was lostness, uh, confusion, uh, death, all these experiences of lack of clarity. And suddenly we felt things like need and want and desire because we were empty and we were lost to life and light and freedom. And so as a human race and as sin entered into the story and into creation, we found ourselves suddenly chasing after things to fulfill our needs and to make us divine again. As Solomon says, we started chasing after the wind, clawing at anything that would fulfill the need in us and make us king again. And so we live our lives chasing after stuff, bringing destruction to anything and anyone in our way because we need, we need, we need. Every relationship, every circumstance, every resource is bent toward meeting what is in us. And left there, that would have been our story, a story of self-destruction and a story of, of death and mess. But the good news of the scriptures that we discover as we enter into the Old Testament and then into the Gospels, the good news of the Gospel is that that creator and sustainer doesn't leave us in that place. He actually enters into our world, takes on flesh and blood, lives on our planet, dies and rises from the dead in order to redeem our story, to bring redemption, to redeem is to buy back in order to reverse the death that had entered into us and actually make it life again. And so he enters into our story and he says, I have come to redeem your story, to redeem the story of mankind, to redeem you. And we discover as we enter into the story of the gospel that what God does in redemption is that he rescues our soul, that part of us that was dead and separated from God. He rescues that, giving us opportunity once again through Jesus Christ and his work to know the fullness of God again, to be full of God again. The Holy Spirit enters into our lives and we become full of God. So we know God, we're full of God, and that restored relationship is affected. And though we experience it in a body of flesh and blood still and a bit of death, there is this deep sense inside of us that we now know we are right with God now and therefore our future is secure that we will be right with Him fully outside of this body and our future is restored fully. The full implications of intimacy with God will be felt when we leave planet Earth and we finally are totally free. In the meantime, we are free in Him. So He does that. He rescues our soul. And for a culture that is typically fairly prosperous and a people that have learned to be self-sufficient, our tendency is to stop there with the gospel, to go, the gospel has come to rescue me, set me right with God, and my future is secure, so I'm going to keep going about my life because I'm now free. But the gospel goes, whoa, I, that's not where it ends. You see, Jesus not only rescues our soul so that we are right with God and full of God again, but now he restores our present purpose, not just our future purpose, but our present purpose, that we were originally created not only to know God, but what? To image God, to display God, to make God known through our lives, through the actions and the words that we speak. And so we are restored to this incredible purpose where our lives have dramatically shaped. We are no longer pursuing the wind, the things that will come and meet us us, but we are now pursuing opportunities in our relationships, our circumstances, with our resources that say, God, I live for your kingdom now. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and through me in the life I live. I live by faith in Christ. And it starts shaping our relationships. It starts shaping our resources. It starts shaping our circumstances. We start changing the way we see the world. Our entire worldview gets turned upside down, and suddenly we wake up and we are living for the kingdom of God, thus becoming compelled to enter into the world of darkness and bring redemption because we are told in Scripture, you are now ambassadors of Christ, ministers of reconciliation for men and God. And so we can enter into mankind now and we can reconcile them as ambassadors of Christ to God. This is our purpose. 
I mean, you hear it throughout Scripture, but listen to this. I just want to read you two places, two of my favorites, that just kind of describes who we are now. Not just a a rescued soul, but a restored person to live out the kingdom of God. Listen to Peter as he writes to the church in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Do you hear that? We are made to to be for him and to display his excellencies in the way that we live. Now listen to uh, Paul as he writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12. Now he writes it this way. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God or in view of God's mercies to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we give ourselves to God to say, I am no longer for me, I am for you, that is worship. That is saying to God, I'm yours. Listen now. Do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that, you, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he goes on in the next few verses to talk about how that dynamic of giving yourself to God will affect our community. He says we're part of a body, we serve each other. And then in verse 9 of that same chapter, he kind of unpacks this in terms of what life will look like now. Listen. Those who are given to Christ and live for the kingdom, this is what it looks like. Let love be genuine, verse 9. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then what about those outside of our community experience? Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is where the passage ends. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. You will bring him to repentance. Listen to this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is our life now. This is who we are now. And that is exciting. And then we ask ourselves, okay, so if we are full of light and life and freedom, full of God now, and we are carrying that into a world to display that, we know what it might have looked like if the world was also full of light and life and freedom, and it was the symphony back and forth. Woo, God is good, God is good, except that's not our story, is it? See, we have been redeemed, but the world is still unredeemed, and so we enter into a world of darkness and death, bringing light and life and freedom, and that doesn't always go like a symphony. Sometimes it goes the exact opposite. And so how do we, what should we expect as we enter into a world living on mission, carrying this reality of displaying God because we now know him and are full of him and are continuing to grow in devotion for him? How does that look? Well, Jesus doesn't only tell us this, uh, what to expect with this, but he actually shows us. Think about the life of Jesus. This is where we find uh, the expectation for what our life is going to be like now. Jesus comes to planet earth to come and redeem our story, right? Where does it begin? The creator and sustainer of all things, who is above all things, over all things, in all things, I mean, in every way, sovereign over all things. He crawls his way into a human body. He is born from a woman. He is raised as a child. Look, guys, no matter how much you make yourself nothing, you will never, ever compare to that gap, okay? When divinity becomes human, that is becoming nothing. So Jesus starts his journey of redemption on our behalf by becoming nothing for us, giving all of himself away and crawling into a human body, setting aside voluntarily his divine attributes and depending on the Holy Spirit like you and I. It's an insanity. He has parents going, don't do that. And he doesn't turn around and go, do you know who I am? I could make you cease to exist if I wanted to. None of that. He humbles himself, grows up as a human child, and grows up as a young human man. 
And then when he becomes uh, fully uh, engaged in ministry uh, in his 30s, what does he do? He pours himself into a bunch of guys. He collects them and he pours himself into them day in and day out, investing himself and his time and his energy into them. And to what end? To what fruit for those three years? They complain. They whine. They don't listen. They, they're vying for position. They're fighting for who's who. They argue with him. Again, you know, I'm just going to make all of you cease to exist. I mean, the amount of times people would have ceased to exist if I were Jesus would have been extraordinary. But he walks his way through that, pouring into people that seem to bear very little fruit. And while he's doing this, how is he living his life on planet Earth? Everywhere he goes, he brings clarity to the gospel, the kingdom of God. He teaches, he explains, he verbalizes, uh, he, he declares, he unapologetically says this is how it is in a cultural context that did not buy that. He makes himself uh, available for people to hear and listen, never stopping with here's the kingdom of God, here's how it works, here's what's happening. He declares the gospel, the good news, declaring himself. Messiah. While doing that, everywhere he goes, he touches the lame, the sick, the blind, the broken, the sad, every single person that he comes across in every single story. He affects redemption in a felt way so that he's not just explaining redemption, but he's actually affecting and acting out redemptively. And this is how Jesus lives. He produces redemption in beautiful acts of mercy and justice, and he declares and explains redemption in teaching and discipleship all the time. And what does he get for all of this? Well, I'll tell you what he gets. He gets stuck in a garden on his knees sweating blood because he knows what's about to happen. He gets rejected. He gets persecuted. He gets hated. He gets taken and stuck in some trial and then gets put on a cross. He has to carry that cross up a hill, a cross he chose for himself because he knew it was coming. And he goes up and he dies on that cross to die in our place. He takes on our brokenness so that we don't have to be broken anymore. And he becomes broken for us. And this is what he calls redemption. And if the story ended there, it would be an awesome story. Just that. We, we would be inspired by someone like that, saying, we ought to live like he lived. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus actually comes back from the dead, declaring something impossible to us. That when we step into a redemptive story and he is in that story, here's how it goes. You become nothing. You invest with little fruit. Uh, you touch things redemptively and you speak redemption. For that you will be rejected and persecuted and probably die on a cross somewhere, dying to self for the sake of those who you love. And when you're dead, here's what he'll promise to do. He makes dead things alive. He resurrects broken things. Every injustice he will resurrect into justice. Every brokenness he will resurrect into unbrokenness. Every moment that needs mercy he will resurrect when we take on the brokenness of others for his sake. This is the story of God. This is what Jesus says. So Jesus demonstrates his life to us that we need to act redemptively and explain redemption while investing heavily knowing that we will be broken for the sake of the broken in being redemptive and that he and only he alone will res resurrect our stories on the other end. That's what we enter into and this is how Jesus describes it. Ready? And he said it. If you're gonna follow me, here's how you follow me. You take up your cross and you follow me. And this wasn't like an accidental statement on Jesus' part. This was Jesus describing to us what life is going to look like. Jesus came to be redemptive, to redeem by dying for us, by breaking for us, and then resurrecting from the dead. And then he calls us as his disciples and says, here's your life now, your purpose. This is how you make me known. You walk into the broken and you carry their brokenness for them. And yes, you will break under that weight, but I will resurrect that story. So you see, we always think of carrying crosses in my typical experience in church as this. You know what? Some hard things will happen to you, circumstances you can't control, and then they'll be on you, and just be of great cheer and hope, because you know you should bear your hard circumstances well for the sake of the gospel. And I see, I, I look at that and I go, I don't think that was Jesus, what was Jesus saying. Yes, will hard things happen to us? Absolutely. You're on planet Earth. Are you kidding me? This place is full of death. It's coming. But here's the deal. When those hard things come, you have great hope already. You already know Jesus. You already know your future. Good. Jesus didn't accidentally stumble onto the cross. 
oh, what happened? There's a cross on my back. No, he knew it was coming. He chose it. He could have got out of it. He didn't. He didn't need to take it on. He chose to take it on. And he says to us as his ambassadors that we now choose intentionally to walk into the brokenness of others and take on their brokenness so that we break instead of them because we are already whole in Christ. And so that's what it means to take on our cross. We are compelled by what we know in Scripture that our purpose is now to go and to take this on. It is not an obligation for us to take on the brokenness of others, just as it was not an obligation of Jesus to take on our brokenness. It is a privilege. It is our purpose. See, what we realize is, the reason we're compelled is, because we recognize now that now that we've been rescued by Christ, our entire created purpose is to live a life redemptively as an ambassador for Christ, a minister of reconciliation to bring people into the glory of God so they see and know His freedom. We do that in all of the arenas of our life. So we recognize as individuals here that God has placed you in the typical areas of influence that you live in. These are the places you spend most of your time. Some of you have a family. Uh, you have roommates. You have people you stay with. You're in a college or a school somewhere. These are people you hang out with. You're in a workplace somewhere. You're in social networks. You live in a neighborhood. These are the places you live your life. And what are you called to as a Christ follower? To go into those places to be uh, careful to watch and listen actively so that you can recognize where the needs are, becoming aware of the needs of the people that are in your personal circle of influence. Then once you're aware of those things, to engage your abilities in the access that God has given you into your personal spaces to become a person that demonstrates redemption by acting in mercy and justice and explains redemption by sharing the gospel and discipling. These should both be happening in your personal circle of influence. I don't know what the needs are in your personal circle of influence. I just know you have access to that place. You have ability and resource to bring to bear there. And you are there so you can figure out what the needs are. So what is our job as the church organized, as the leadership of the church? To equip you, the saints, and me, one of the saints, to go do the work of the gospel. And that is to go out into your world and to recognize where the needs are and to engage in them. So we are to inspire you and equip you to go out into your personal circles of influence and live gospel-centric in those places, making redemption felt in justice and mercy and explaining it in discipleship and sharing the gospel. But God doesn't simply say, all I want you to do is live in your normal little circles of influence and just stay there. God says, I also want you as a church to impact your local community, not just your neighborhood, your social networks, your place, but the whole city that you live in because we want to be redemptive in our city and God says that. So he calls us to become aware of what's going on in our city so that we can step into those areas and be redemptive from a city-wide perspective. So as a church organized, our job is to come to you and to say, hey, you may not be aware of what's going on in our city, of what ministries and people are at work in our city, of what needs are, 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 are uh, here in our city. We want to make you aware of those. Look, you have access to it. You, you own a bicycle, a car. You can walk, right? I mean, the city's not far away. It's right here. It's, it's Winter Garden. It's, it's Claremont. It's Orlando. It's it's this whole area. So you have access to it and you have ability to bring to bear. You just may not be aware of what's going on. So our job as a church organized is to say, we want to make you aware locally of the areas that need justice and, and, and mercy ministry and of the areas that need discipleship and sharing. And we want to give you the, the, the opportunity to go, oh, I didn't know that, and to engage because you have access and you have ability. And so we do that. In your personal space, be full of justice and mercy and disciple. In your local uh, arena, step into justice and mercy and disciple. Share the gospel. Share, explain, unpack the realities of the good news. And then we step into the global environment. Now the global environment's a little more complex because Jesus didn't say to us, just be in your personal space and just in your local community. He said this, I'm gonna make you my witnesses in Jerusalem where you kinda hang out, in Judea and Samaria, in the places around you that are a little uncomfortable, and to the ends of the earth. 
We are going to be witnesses everywhere, so we need to engage everywhere. But the problem with the global environment is that the access to the global environment is a little more complicated. My son yesterday, we're driving in our car, and, and he's playing with the nav system, and he decides, I want to see what happens if I put like Africa in there. So he zooms the map out, and he picks a little town in Africa, and he hits it, and the system's working and working, trying to find the route, and eventually this is what the, the voice of the woman says on my nav system. There is no route from here to Africa. Look, I, 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 it doesn't, you can't get there. You cannot drive to Africa. You're going to have to find some other nav system because I can't do it. See, when there's certain global environments, it gets complicated to actually get there, to have access. You need to understand cultural nuances and differences. You need to understand language barriers. You need to uh, engage in all sorts of ways that are hard for us. So you may be aware of what's going on, but you don't have access. So our job as an organized church is to create awareness in the global environment and to create easy access so that you can bring your abilities, your resources and time and expertise to the table in the global environment through an easy access point that we create for you. In your personal environment, we just inspire you. In your local environment, we give you awareness. In your global environment, we give you awareness and access. Your job to bring your abilities to bear on all those environments. So that's what we do. And what are we doing in our global environment? Same thing we're doing in our local environment, folks, or in your personal environment. We want to do what Jesus did, demonstrating uh, uh, justice and mercy ministry and explaining the gospel through discipleship. So here's how we figure out who our global partners are. We look for partners that are either deeply at work in the justice and mercy ministries or are church planting so that they are, uh, they are developing a church that is going to be gospel-centric, discipling, teaching, and mentoring people into the gospel, explaining the gospel while affecting justice and mercy. So the way we do it is this. We look around the world, and if there's a region of the world that has strong church presence on the ground, but those churches just don't have the resources or knowledge to be able to engage in justice and mercy ministry, we find a partner on the ground that's doing justice and mercy ministry that understands that they should tie to the local church to equip the local church to step into the story with them as they step into the story with the church. So that you have the the, the justice and mercy ministry happening, but you also have the discipleship component through the local church happening as well. Or we find environments where the church on the ground isn't very strong, doesn't really have a heart to try to engage. It's not a lack of resources. It's a lack of zeal and desire. Then we look for ministries that will plant churches on the ground there that are gospel-centric churches that will become the heartbeat and revival for affecting justice and mercy while explaining the gospel and discipling. Engaging young men and women into teams for church planting so we can explode revival. And that's how we pick our church partners. They are doing one or the other, but both of them engaged in both. And when we find those partners, we get with them, we come alongside them, we resource them, we engage with them, and we have fun with them, seeing God change the world through us all. So, as you've heard, uh, we have a couple of partners already that we've been working with for a while. Uh, we have partners in Kenya. Paul and Callie work in Loyangalani, Kenya. They've planted church there. That church is affecting a work in Loyangalani, Kenya of justice and mercy as well as discipleship and teaching people what's going on. You've heard we're in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil with Jay Bauman and his wife Lou. We're on the ground there. They're planting churches in Rio and equipping the local churches and pastors to become effective in justice and mercy ministry and through Restore Brazil, which is a ministry out of that church plant, they are effective justice and mercy ministry uh, among the orphans and the poor in that region of the world and we've come alongside them. We are in Ethiopia through Love Made Visible. We're engaging in Adwa and Aksum, affecting justice and mercy ministry because the church there is still fairly hostile toward church planting. So we need to affect lots of felt gospel reality before they'll even let us disciple. And so we got to spend some years just telling them we love you, we care about you here, we're going to meet your needs. And then you know that we're involved in Cambodia. Cambodia has a strong church presence, but the church is not well equipped to engage in some of the problems in Cambodia because they are church under-resourced and under-knowledged. And so uh, AIM has stepped into their ministry that deals with the human trafficking issue since Cambodia is the heartbeat of human trafficking. And they are engaging in providing resources for the local church so that the local church can come alongside them and they can come alongside the local church to effect rescue for women that are caught up in the sex human trafficking trade. And so we've come alongside AIM and said, man, we're with you as you do this great work in Cambodia. 
And now that we've connected with those and we felt that uh, we're behind them in a big way, we've added four new partners that I want you to know about as we enter 2014 and 15, and we're very excited about these partners. Uh, We have Justin and Abby, who are planting a church in Italy, in Europe. Europe needs a lot of uh, churches as well, as does America, frankly. And so... Uh, We are stepping into uh, the continent of Europe and Italy. Uh, In Italy, there is a strong church presence, but it is a ritualistic church presence, and so the church is very uh, hostile toward actual gospel revival type of stuff, and so this is actually a hostile environment, believe it or not. They're stepping in, they're planting church, they're working with the local pastors, engaging them in ministry and saying, let's together redeem our city. We love the work they're doing. We've watched them for a couple of years. We're very excited about engaging with this family and what they're doing in Europe. We've also engaged with Terry and Janine in South Africa. Terry and Janine in South Africa work with a ministry that does justice and mercy work outside in the poverty and townships around Cape Town. Cape Town has a very strong church presence. The churches need some inspiring and some help. And so they work with the local church to engage them in helping take a person and holistically raising them out of poverty by creating ability for them to get some skills, get into workforce, step out of the poverty cycle and into a cycle that gets them moving forward. This is the proverbial don't give them fish, teach them how to fish. And this ministry does a phenomenal job with that while partnering with the local church on the ground there. We love what they're doing. We're really excited about their work. We have Ben and Rachel in North Africa. When we throw a partner up like this, we don't put a last name and we don't tell you where in North Africa, here's why. Because they're going to a part of North Africa where nobody wants them, okay? The people there are an unreached people group. They are hostile toward the gospel. If they find out someone's there to bring the gospel, they will kill them, imprison them, or kick them out of the country. It's that simple. And so they're going to areas of the world where they're going to live in, in real danger as they make the gospel known. They have other ways in, but uh, we don't want their information streamed in any kind of detail so that they won't know who they are and where they are. Pray for them because they're going to be in a hostile part of the world. We're super excited. They're going to plant churches underground and allow the gospel to be felt in mercy and justice in such ways that it cannot be denied by the people group they're working with. And then finally, we're jumping in with Paul and Margaret in Southeast Asia, also going to a hostile part of the world, hence the generality of all that. They're going to be working among an unreached people group there, stepping into a world where they're going to affect gospel felt realities and explaining the gospel in areas where the gospel is not welcome. And we're very excited about that church planting ministry as well to see what God is going to do in reviving that. We've been watching these guys for a while. They're on the ground. They're doing it. It's awesome, and we're excited. So we have three Justice Mercy Ministries we work with that work alongside the church. We have Terry and Janine in Cape Town, Brandon and Natasha in Cambodia, and Ethiopia. We have Love Made Visible on the ground. And then we have five church planting ministries we've come alongside. We have uh, Jay and Lou in Brazil, Justin and Abby in Italy, Paul and Margaret in the um, Southeast Asia region, Ben and Rachel in North Africa, and Paul and Callie in Kenya. These are the church planting ministries we are coming alongside. Now, uh, this doesn't seem like a whole lot. Uh, yeah, eight, eight partners around the world, I'll tell you why. Because we are not interested as a church in having a big board on the back of our deal with a hundred faces so you can Facebook your friends and say, my church supports a hundred missionaries, whoop, whoop. But what that actually means is we have no idea who these people are and they each get five bucks a month. And so we are one of those churches on a long list of churches for them that sends them a little stipend once in a while to kind of say, we have you on our board. I have actually been in a church where I have asked about some missionaries on the board and uh, in asking, they did some research and found out that two of the missionaries had died several years ago and they just didn't know that so they were just sending their 10 bucks a month because nobody was really in touch with anyone on the board. This stuff happens folks. It looks great out there but the fact of the matter is we want to be the kind of church that knows our missionaries so well and is so highly engaged in their lives that when they're said and done with their journey in the mission field that they would say this, never has a church come alongside us that has been a greater gift than Mosaic Church. Never has a church backed us financially as much as this church has. Never has a church relationally connected with us as deeply as this church has. In fact, our marriage, our spiritual development, our sustainability on the mission field is largely in part a result of this partner we had in the little town uh, of Orlando that was with us. So we take each partner, we engage deeply with them, we relate with them, we, we, we jump in with them, we want to know them, we want to care for them, and we want them to feel us in their sails every single day that they know man mosaics behind us 
And that's what we want to do. So when we have these eight partners locked and loaded in that kind of depth of relationship, then we'll expand. We have the other four now. We've put four more. We'll go further. But that's where we start. Now, it's one thing to come to you and say, hey, I want to make you aware of what's going on. And I just told you, awareness is the first piece of the puzzle in the global environment. Now you're aware of who our eight partners are. You're aware of what they're doing. You're aware of how we functionally choose them and what we look for. But how do you actually gain access to these people? How do you get involved in the story? Here it is. It's actually quite simple. We're going to give you access on multiple levels. As a church organic, that means you and I, just as people, we are the church. It's not an organization. It's just an organic reality that Jesus declared. If you know Jesus and you're part of a body, you're part of the church, right? So that church, you and I, how do we get involved with our missionaries? Well, there's a couple of ways you can get involved now that you're aware. One, in our midst, we have things called missional communities. You've heard a lot about them. If you are part of a missional community, every missional community leader is being challenged now to take their missional community and to choose one of the eight partners and to connect deeply with that partner so that they can engage in relational connection with that partner praying for that partner, financially jumping with that partner, sending care packages to that partner, Skyping with that partner. Guys, we live in a global environment with technologies beyond our wildest imagination. Most of our partners have access to Skype. You could actually have them at your missional community on a regular basis. What's up? I mean, this is the kind of stuff we can begin to do. And we want them to have so many people sending them, we're praying for you, sending them care packages, sending them emails, touch and base, what's going on in your life, how can we serve, and our missional community is gonna jump into that. So, if you are part of a missional community, you will be engaged as the organic church with our eight global partners. You'll be engaged with one of them. If you're not part of a missional community, then you'll have to step into engagement yourself. And here's how that works. The second way you can engage is you can pray. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that one. No, no, no. Whoa, whoa. Listen. I know that oftentimes prayer is the, is the thing in the letter that you write for financial support where it's the cop-out. You're like, please support us financially, but if you can't, please pray. Like, side note. Jesus didn't think prayer was a side note, nor, nor does any, any author of scripture. As a matter of fact, I genuinely submit to you, I would rather have someone praying for me daily than supporting me with millions of dollars. I mean that sincerely. God can move mountains, but what he tells us is that when we come before him and we pray that he uses our prayers in the missional story he's writing. So hear me now. Prayer is mission. Praying is missional. It is an effective way to be missional. You step in and pray for our global partners on a regular basis, you are being missional alongside them. You pick a global partner and pray for them daily, you are being missional alongside them. That is a critical and serious part of stepping in with them. So pray. We want every one of you to pick a global partner, stick them on your refrigerator, by your bedside, around your house, on your walls, write them on your mirrors in your bathroom. And every time you see them, you go, God, I want to pray for Jay and Lou in Brazil. I want to pray your blessing on them today. Be gracious to them. Open doors for them. Guard their marriage. Make them strong strong and every day hundreds of, of, of us praying for our global partners we want you to communicate encourage and care for them we want you to be able to say now that I know who they are and I know what their email addresses are and we'll get those uh, out for you those who we can and we'll give you guidelines on those that we can't uh, you know where to send care packages for those that there's special ways you'll send it here and we'll send it out we want them regularly to be getting communications from us we're praying for you we love you we care about you what's going on in your life here's a care package what do you need stepping into their stories and you can do that because we're going to have these eight partners accessible to you constantly throughout the year and then and finally, we want you to invest in their stories. See, as a church organized, we're invested in their stories, but we're, we are inviting you to invest in their stories personally as well. You have resources that God calls you to give. You have time that God calls you to give. You have expertise. We want you to think about that and say, man, I resonate with this partner. I'd like to contact them and see if I can financially engage on a personal level with them. We want you to do that. We want you to engage above and beyond uh, what God has called to you locally, we want you to engage globally financially. And so we invite you to explore these guys and engage with them. How awesome would it not be if multiple of their financial partners are from the same church that's already financially supporting them? That's awesome. That's what I want. So jump in, engage, step in. Now, as a church organized, 
This goes beyond the organism of the church into the organized church. That's us as a corporate body. What are we doing as a whole? In other words, if you call this place home and you invest your time and your uh, expertise and your resources in this place, if you give here of those things, then this is part of who you are now. How does your giving in this place affect us together able to step into their lives? Number one, we significantly financially support our partners. We send them significant support. As a matter of fact, for many of our partners, we are the single most significant financial supporter that they have. And so we do not pour little bits in, we pour a lot in. $300,000 over the last three years have been poured directly into our global partners, directly into their stories. And so this is what we step into. Because we cumulatively bring our resources together here, then we take a portion of every dollar that is given here and it goes directly to our global partners so that they can experience ministry at a high level. Second of all, pastoral care. I am on a six-week rotation, and I Skype with all of our global partners regularly. I get on Skype with them. We sit over a table, sometimes at Oxum Coffee, sometimes here in the office, and we spend 30, 45, uh, 60 minutes together, and and I, I speak into their lives. I hear from them. I pray with them. I ask them, how's your marriage? How's your family? How are you feeling? What's going on? What's the Spirit of God doing in you? What's God teaching you? Are you intimate with Christ? How's ministry going? How can we serve? What can we do? How can we help? Because we want our global partners to know that they are part of our story, that we consider them people that need to be shepherded and we will shepherd them well. So we engage regularly in Skype calling and I do that with some of the elders and with Gabe who's always there taking notes. That's how we find out about lots of their stories and take notes and then engage in their stories. We send teams. We send teams to engage with our global partners. Now I'll tell you what we don't do, okay? We don't do this. We don't find a bunch of people in our church that want to tour Italy and say, I got a great idea. We got a church plant out there. Why don't you send a support letter out to your friends and then your trip to Italy will get paid for and on Wednesday and Friday you can do a little mission work on the side and call it a mission trip. And you go, ah, no one does that. You want to bet? Many of our global partners will tell us that their nightmare is hosting teams. Do you know why? Because the team has an agenda. The team wants to come there and they want to fulfill a certain set of things so they can get back to their church and have the warm fuzzies and tell everybody what they've done. They want to make sure that since they're all the way on the other side of the world, they're getting to see some tourism stuff. They're getting to hang out on the beach one day because they'll be exhausted after three days of working, sharing the gospel. And they want to stay in a nicer hotel because you know the junky one with only cold water, that's not going to cut it. And then people won't want to go on their mission trips anymore and they want to eat food that's not going to make them sick and so what our teams end up doing is and not our teams our partners is a lot of times the week or two that they host teams is a non-ministry week or two they're so exhausted after hosting teams they need a vacation so we've told our global partners listen here's how it works with us You tell us when you need our teams. You tell us who you need on those teams. You tell us how big you need those teams to be. And you tell us what you need them to do. And we will build a team for you that will be tailored for your need. And then when we send that team, here's what we want to tell you. You find the easiest hotel or tent that they can stay in. You feed them whatever you eat. And you make sure that you don't take them to a single tourist place. Unless it will give you the warm fuzzies to feel like you've at least shown them that one tower in your city. We are not there to be on tourism trips. We are there to work. We are there to get on the ground. We're there to get it done, and we're there for you. You serve us. That is a detriment to us. We are there to serve you. We make that clear to our global partners so that when we go, when they're done with our teams, they go, we feel rested, we feel served, we feel loved, and we feel like we've advanced our ministry beyond anything we could have imagined in a week because you guys were there. So, If you have a sense to say, I'd love to be on one of those teams, then here's how it works. You contact Gabriel, his business card is by the info wall there, uh, or you jump in with with a shirt saw or the blue shirt and say, I'd like to make myself available to be on those teams. Then we're going to ask you, what's your skill set? What do you bring to the table? Maybe you love kids. Maybe you're a nurse or a doctor. Maybe you work in construction. Maybe you cook great food. Maybe you love to give hugs to people. Our missionaries just often need a week of people who come and hug them a lot because they're lonely out there. So there's multiple arenas that you can go, but we will pick you in the appropriate teams at the appropriate places, and we will tell you where we need you to go. You're not going to say, I've always wanted to go to Brazil. I love that story, but your skill set's needed in Ethiopia right now. We may do that. Or you may say, I have a deep passion for Brazil. Then we might figure out when a team goes there that happens to need your skill set will engage you. Do you understand how that's going to work? But identify yourself. If you go, I've got lots of time. I'd like to go for three months or six months or a 
year and be with the missionary teams on the ground and the partners. We'd love to see that happen. They could use that. Uh, but you need to identify yourself. So please, grab Gabe's card, email him, uh, talk to one of the blue shirts, say, I'd like to be on the list, on the radar for being engaged in that way. And then finally, we get involved in stories. Stories that we discover from our global partners. Last year, Jay in Brazil told us uh, they're planting a church. They need sound equipment and media equipment. It's very expensive in Brazil. Do we have some used equipment we can send their way? We had him send us a list of everything he needs. We got with our tech team. We said, how much will it cost to buy this new? They told us. We called Jay back and said, what if we buy you all the equipment new and we send a team out there of our best tech people to install it and train all your people on it? Jay was like, are you kidding me? No, we're doing that. We came to you guys and said, corporate Corporately as a church, we have a, a, a equipment to buy and a team to send. Here's the price tag on it. We want you to engage in that story. And in one weekend, we took care of that because you guys said, that's our chance to step into that financially. We'll do that on occasion. Here's two stories that are current that we're involved in. Uh, in Cambodia, we have our partners there, the butlers. They've worked on this center where they bring the girls that they rescue from the sex trade into the center and produce w jobs for them because if they rescue them and then say, good luck, they'll just slip right back into that because at least there they get food and they get housing. He, they, they don't know how to support themselves because they have no skills. So they set up this factory and they train the girls there in all sorts of skills. One in particular is making and printing t-shirts. And then what they'll do is they'll take these t-shirts and get orders from around the world and ship them to places and all the money that's made from the t-shirts creates jobs and creates income for these girls to live a sustainable life in Cambodia. So they just got the center up and running like this last month. And we're like, that's incredible. And they said, oh my gosh, we're ready. We're ready. We just don't have any orders yet. So we're going to start marketing for orders. And we said, who's ordered from you? Nobody. We're like, awesome. Can we be your first order? So we ordered a boatload of t-shirts from them and said, make some t-shirts for us. We'll order them. We'll figure out what to do with them. This is one of those t-shirts. Pray for Africa. How do you like this? Isn't this awesome? This t-shirt was made by one of the 12 women that were rescued out of sex slavery in Cambodia. I'm wearing, her name is on my tag. They write her name on, this is who made it, this is the girl. And so we ordered a boatload of t-shirts from Cambodia saying we're in and we'll just kind of keep doing that. All our t-shirts can come from Cambodia now. How awesome is that? Second story, we're in Ethiopia. And in our uh, orphan care program, we discover a kid, Tesfalen. Tesfalen had a disease that in America, you can take care of with some medication like that when you're young. But if you don't take care of it with medication, this is what happens to you. Your spine gets bent over, it starts crushing your organs, and you die. So to fix his problem, one, we had to give him the medication, that's easy, solve the problem, but the spine is still contracting. So now it's a surgery that has to take place. With the surgery, you can fix this and he'll live a totally normal life. But in Ethiopia, we couldn't produce that surgery because of multiple complications. So we found out if we flew him to Ghana, we could do the surgery there, fly some doctors from here to go there, do the surgery. We can get him normalized and get him back to Ethiopia and he will live a normal life. His family are not believers. They are in a town and they don't know Jesus and they don't go to church. So this is a big deal for them as well. Why are we doing them? They're actually of a people group that would typically be thought to be hated by Christians. So we've stepped into their lives and we've taken him and we figured it out. It was a $20,000 price tag to get him the surgery. So we started raising the money. We raised 16000 of that 20000 and with that $16,000 we have already got him on the ground in Ghana at the hospital ready to get the doctors engaged and do the surgery. $4,000 was all that was left to get him engaged in the surgery and fly him back. So we stand here this weekend, and there's another story sitting before us. Man, we're already in the story. We're already there. Now we just need to close the loop on the story. This is how we engage you guys into the stories that are happening with our global partners. So there's multiple ways that you can engage as a corporate body and multiple ways you can engage as an organic body, and we are going to have our partners feel us in big ways so that they know we're with them, we're the wind in their sails, we're behind them every single day, and as they work globally, we work work globally and partner with them. Does that not sound exciting? I think it's exciting. So let's take a minute and let's pray for those partners right now and let's get ready to begin our journey. God, thanks for our partners around the world and all that they're doing and thank you for the incredible work you're effecting through them and thank you for identifying them for us so that we could partner with them. I pray, God, that all that we're saying here would uh, be true and become true as we uh, press harder in to relational connection and financial connection and, and, and just ministry connection with them as they spend themselves in the globe on our behalf and on your behalf. God, may we be a great partner to them. 
and serve them with all of our hearts. And may we change their story as they are changing your story for the sake of the gospel. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for them. We pray in your precious name. Amen.